So last week, when you were here for worship, for those of you who were here last week, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, so I have a Red RAV4 that I drive, and I had a bike on the back last week. I don't know if anybody noticed a bike out in the parking lot, but that was because after worship was done, I uh, was running up to Door County for a quick one-night camping trip at Newport State Park with my little brother. Um, Anybody here ever been to Newport State Park? You have. Okay. So does anyone know why Newport is significant? Okay, so Newport, um, so it's on the east coast of Door County, the northern part. Um, it is an internationally recognized dark park, meaning that it is special classification because there's so little light pollution around it that the stars are amazing. And actually, when you get in there, so they work really hard to preserve it that way. There's no lights in the park. Um, even like when you use a flashlight, you're only supposed to use like a red light flashlight so it doesn't put blue light into the, into the sky. It's, there's no, like when you use your cell phone, you're supposed to have your, your night screen on. Um, they just want like zero light in the park. And so the thing is, because it's this dark park, it's, it's really, it's hard to get a campsite there. And so my brother was just looking through the sites just for fun, and he saw that Sunday night was open. And so he snagged it. So then me being the mooch big brother that I am, said, hey, um, you know, you probably want company when you're camping out in the middle of the woods, right? And so he said, yes, of course. So last week after worship, I ran up there and, and, and came, went and spent the night up there at Newport State Park and got to check out. I tried to take some pictures of the stars. It didn't work out as well. My camera isn't so good with that. I got some good pictures along the shore. But, you know, other people who have been there who have fancy cameras have taken pictures like this. Now, granted, this is with like a, like, I don't know a lot about fancy cameras, like the ones that have like the open, you can leave the exposure, like long exposure cameras. This is not quite what I saw. This was a bit, this was something that he had with, got with his camera. Um, but, uh, but it gives you a bit of an idea though, I mean, just how incredible the stars were Sunday nights and how incredible the sky is. And when you stop and you look at the sky and you look at how big it is and massive and how there are so many stars, Sometimes when we look at it, we can start to feel awfully small. And maybe we even start to wonder, like, okay, if God is so big and I'm so small, why would he care? Like, why would he care about me? Why would he care about what's going on in my life? And, and maybe you haven't felt that when you looked at the stars. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. But I have been really surprised how often I've heard people say when I talk to them about what's going on in life, and they'll say, talk about this challenge or that challenge, and I'll say, well, have you prayed about it? They say, you know, I feel like God's got bigger things to worry about than my problem. And what is behind that? It's this question, why would God care about this? Like, why would he care about me? Even if you've never felt that before, this question today is really important for us to ask. Because there might be a day where you do feel that way. There might be a day where you do wonder. And it's important for us to know there is a real reason why God cares about you. So today, let's stop. Let's ask this question. When it comes to you and it comes to your life, why would he care? The lesson we have today, it's Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 to 6. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Now this psalm today, it's a psalm that is written by David. Um, So the famous David who, you know, killed Goliath, who became king over Israel. It's a psalm that he wrote, really a psalm for, for singing. 
when it says according to the, well, it's for the director of music, according to the Giddith, it describes a type of instrument and, and a type of music that was common at the time. So this was a, a, a psalm from David, a reflection of him, but it's meant to be sung by the people. And as we get into the psalm, it gets right into what I got to do last weekend up at Newport State Park, which I got to tell you, so last weekend, um, so usually I wait until after Sunday to study the next Sunday's sermon lesson. Uh, so like typically, like if I was preaching next Sunday, um, I would wait tomorrow morning. I would get in, I would study the original languages and dig in and I would wait. But last weekend, I studied it Friday night um, so that as I'm driving by myself in the car, I figured, you know, then I can really think through the sermon and stuff and ponder it. So I'm studying the sermon lesson last Friday night. And what do you know? What is it all about when I consider the moon and the stars? What am I going to do on Sunday after worship? Go up to Newport for the purpose of looking at the moon. I mean, it's just God's timing is amazing, isn't it? And so as you think about, man, the, the moon and just so many stars in the sky, this lesson, it asks the question, it says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Now, I underline the word man there, even though there's another time where you see the word man in our English translation, because in the original language, they're not the same words. They're actually different words, both translated man, but the first word is more literally talking about being mortal. It describes being weak or being frail. The fact that our lives are weak, are temporary, and at some point, we die. And so you, you have that in mind when you look at these stars. Not only are they big and out there, but, you know, what is, light takes a while to travel, right? Light is fast, but I've heard, and maybe some of you know this better than I do, doesn't it take like over 100 years for the light from the stars to get here? Anybody ever heard that before? It takes like a century for the light from a star to even reach Earth because they're so far away. And so when we see, a, we see the light from the star, we're actually looking at something that's 100 years old that left that star like before my, you know, grandparents were born. And so you think about how old they are and you think about how young we are and how really relatively short our lifespan is. Or I think of uh, in, in, in the Old Testament, I, like you read through Job, Job refers to some constellations by name. One of them that he's talking about is the constellation Orion. So, you know, so we see Orion a lot during the winter. And it just kind of boggles my mind to think about how Job looked up and thought about Orion just like I look up and look at the exact same constellation. It's kind of like, have you ever heard the phrase when someone talks about a house, you know, that a, a lot of history has happened, and they'll say, you know, if these walls could talk because of all the things that have happened here. If the stars could talk, right? They've seen everything since they were created. And here we are, just this short lifespan of a person, of people. What is immortal that you are mindful of him, God? Or the second part of this, the son of man that you care for him. The word man in the original language there, actually, it's the word Adam, Adam. Adam means man, so that's, it's, it's the right translation. But when you read in the original language, right away, it, it is a clear reminder that is describing a child, a descendant of Adam. And Adam being that first person created by God to be a perfect picture of him, to, to, to work with God, to, to partner with God. But as you know, Adam 
He turned his own way. Instead of stepping up and protecting the garden and, and leading his wife and protecting his family, instead, he just stood to the side. Instead, he took the fruit himself, and he brought sin into this world. And Adam broke this world. Man, what a terrible thing to be responsible for. I've broken a number of valuable things before, but he broke this world. But the reality is, when we see the fact that we're sons of Adam, we're children of Adam, just like he broke the world, we contribute to what breaks the world. You know, we're so quick in our time today to, to, to talk about, in our world today, to talk about the issues with those people and that place and what they do over there. The reality is, the brokenness of this world isn't out there. It's in here, in every one of us. This is where the battle really rages. The enemy is not them, it's us. It's our sinful nature. This is, the, the problem is here because we're all children of Adam. And so that question, why would he care? You know, when you think about us being just these short lifespan mortals, why would he care? When you think about the fact that we've descended from Adam, why would he care? Why would he care? The reality is he does care. He really does. And so now at this point, let's take a look and really take in why he actually does care for us and how he cares for us. So if you look back to the verse that we were just talking about, it says, what is man that you are mindful of him? The word mindful, it, it, it's the idea, it literally means to mark, but what, what does that mean? It's the idea, actually, of having your, like in, in the, David's day, the oldest child would receive the inheritance. And so you would look and you would mark, this is your, this is your child that you're going to pass everything on to. So think about just like any, any father looking at his son and, and, and the love that he has for his son or daughter. But then you add in the fact that, okay, this is the person that not only is going to take my name and my, you know, my story, but also what I have, I'm going to pass it on to them. This is what God sees when he sees you. He says, you mortal, I am marking you as the one that I am passing my inheritance on to. Man, that's a pretty wild designation. And he says, the son of man that you care for him, that literally, it means to, to visit. So to think about coming and checking in on someone to see if they're okay. To see what they need. Maybe a good picture of this today would be like a server at a restaurant. Stopping by, how was your food? How are the first couple of bites? Is there anything else that you need? Can I get you anything? This is the idea. Here we are, children of Adam, contributing to the brokenness of the world, and God visits us checks in. What do you need? How are you doing? What can I do for you? Not only does he look at us and say, okay, you're the one I've marked to give this inheritance to, and not only does he look at us and say, okay, I'm coming. What do you need? He's given us an incredible role, an incredible role that to really grasp it, we got to take a bit of a, of a wild journey for a bit into to something that is really incredible but kind of complex and I don't know if we think about enough in our 2020 age. We live in a time now where the world kind of has sucked the spiritual out of a lot of stuff. You know, because we're such an emphasis on science, like, well, science explains this, explains that. Well, sometimes I think what that's done is left us not really thinking about the spiritual realities that are going on around us. And this verse really invites us to step back into those spiritual realities a bit. It says, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Heavenly beings, so this is talking about the spiritual beings that God created. Often we would use the word angels here, 
I'm thankful that it doesn't because, again, in our world where there's such, we kind of suck the spiritual out of things, I think sometimes our idea of what an angel is is really too limited. We think of just like the angel who appears to Mary and so that was an angel. That's one of the spiritual beings. But there are so many in the Bible, cherubim, seraphim, they look different. They do different things. The spiritual world is massive and we are just, we just have a glimpse of the spiritual creatures, the spiritual beings that God has created that exist in this world, exist in the heavens. It's easy for us to overlook them, partly because of the day we live in, but also partly because we don't see them, because they're spiritual. Which is what makes it so amazing that God has given us a really clear reminder that they exist. And it's here in our lesson. If you've read like the older translation, especially like the King James Version, New King James, or if you've done any old, like, old Lutheran or Catholic liturgies, you've probably heard the phrase, host of heaven heavenly host. So the word host here being not that you host someone at your house for a party, the word host meaning armies, soldiers. Okay? The phrase heavenly host or host of heaven often is used in scripture to describe the spiritual beings in scripture, the angels. You think about Christmas time, the shepherds are out in the field, and then there's the one angel and also an appear with the angel, the multitude of the heavenly host. But the exact same phrase is used to describe the moon and the stars in the Bible as well. You look up at the skies, you look up at the heavens, and you see the heavenly host. It's the exact same words, exact same phrase. How do you know what you're talking about? It's the context. But when you look up, you see the heavenly host. And you see these clear, these, these, these visual reminders that there is a spiritual reality that is going on as well. The stars are to be this reminder, especially in David's day when he doesn't know that a star is like a big fireball floating in the sky. He lives in a time actually where most of the neighboring nations believe that stars were gods and they worshiped them. God in his word was very clear. You don't worship the moon and the stars. You worship me. But also, when you look at the stars, I'm going to use the same word, heavenly host, as I use for the angels so that they remind you of the spiritual beings I created to serve me and to work with me. Now today, we don't have time to really dig into all the, man, it's complex and there's so much there, and we only know a snippet of what we know about spiritual beings, but there's a couple of details about them that would be helpful for us to keep in mind as we think about our position. Uh, we share a few different sections of scripture that give us a little bit of insight to the spiritual world. There's this story in 1 Kings that if you are reading through your Bible and you get to 1 Kings 22, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, this is weird. <laughs> because again, it's a peek into a spiritual world that, that is really, seems really foreign to us. There's this scene where God basically has these spiritual beings assembled like a, like, it's like a staff meeting is what it seems like, or like a council meeting. And he's talking about King Ahab with them. King Ahab, he's the king who ruled Israel when Elijah was prophet. Ahab was awful. And so God's like, okay, Ahab's got to go. There's got to be justice for his sins. How are we going to do it? And they have a discussion. And one of the spirits actually steps forward and says, okay, I will do it. And I'm going to lead and I'm going to have this happen and this happen. And this is how it's going to take place. It gives us insight that God created spiritual beings to be like his heavenly staff team. 
that he would work together with to manage the world. We also have this interesting seated Daniel chapter 10. We read this in, our, in our, one of our preparatory lessons where Daniel here is having this vision, and I don't know if you caught it. Actually, no, this isn't the section. We read a different section, excuse me, from Daniel. Um, in this section, there's, an, there's a, a spiritual being, an angel that comes to Daniel, and he says to Daniel, he says, I would have come sooner, but the prince of Persia had me detained for 21 days. Basically, I was in a struggle, a spiritual struggle in another place, and so I couldn't get here before. Like, what is going on in the spiritual world that we don't see? Like, you know, isn't that wild? And then there is a higher-ranking spiritual being, Michael, who comes and basically breaks up the battle so he can come to Daniel. So here we are. We have the struggle. We have various ranks of spiritual beings. I mean, it's wild. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul echoes this very same concept. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers. There are rulers and authorities in a spiritual world that influence this world. That's who we're struggling against. So we've got good authorities, good rulers, the angels who serve God, the spiritual beings who serve God, but then you have the rebel ones who we are actually battling against who have different ranks and positions and are ruling in various ways. Now, I wanted to bring out the ruling aspect of this. One, because it's fascinating, but two, because it helps us understand our lesson. Why would he care? And why we're significant? And why our lives matter? Because our lesson, it says, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. So in some ways, it seems like God made us lower than the spiritual beings, but then it goes on to say, and crowned him with glory and honor. That's a ruling term. And then he goes on to say, you made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. So you look up at the stars. You're reminded of all these spiritual beings that rule and have authority in his various ways. And as you look at them, let that remind you that God made mankind to rule over everything you see. It's amazing to think, wow, of all those spiritual beings and all the authority, what do they have? But God gave us, he created us to have authority too. Authority over everything we see. The rest of the psalm talks about that. It fleshes it out, talks about over flocks and herds and beasts of the field. But you just have to go back to Genesis 1 to see this concept. Or Genesis, uh, I believe it's chapter 2. When God created Adam, and Eve, he said, I created you in my image, my likeness, so to be a walking picture of me. And then he said, go and go throughout the world, rule over it, subdue it, take hold of it. God created people with the vocation of ruling the world with him. God's design is that he would rule the world through people. And he would rule the world through people being walking pictures of him. As we were to manage the world we were to do it like him. We were to interact with each other selflessly, loving one another, taking care of one another, loving his world, taking care of his world. That was how his design was to work. That was our calling. That was our privilege, to rule the world with God. But there's, a, there's an issue with this concept as we get here, as we sit here in this psalm, because... Okay, God created people to have that vocation, that special calling. 
But remember, we already talked about the issue with Adam, right? God created people to rule the world in his image, but Adam broke this world. We have done a pretty terrible job of ruling the world. You look around, you can see just how broken the world is. So that leaves us in this bad place. Like, like do we really have this position anymore, this rule anymore? Well, over the course of the Old Testament, the term son of man started to take on a special flavor and a special significance. And it started to give people hope that a point would come where there would be someone who would come and change the tide. Someone who would come and instead of making the world more broken would actually heal it. And the lesson we have from Daniel, the one that we did read, is where we see this picture beautifully on display. Because in Daniel, in the Old Testament, there's this vision that he had that there would be one like a son of man who would come, who would be seated with God the Father, have this authority, and he would be given authority, glory, sovereign power over everyone. He would be the one who would really establish that rule the way it was meant to be, in this beautiful, eternal way. So in the Old Testament, there is this hope of a son of man who would come. And in the New Testament, we have Jesus. Do you know what Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself was? He called himself the son of man over and over again. People would, try to, would say, are you the Christ? And basically, he might kind of answer them, and then he would change the subject. He didn't like to use that word. He didn't like to use the word Messiah. That word had a lot of baggage in Jesus' day, a lot of political baggage and so on. Jesus kind of turned away from that, and he used the word son of man. It was much clearer. He is the son of man, the person who did not disobey like Adam did. He is the person who lived perfectly following God the Father's plan, completely loving God and loving others, but then laying down his life in complete sacrificial love. He is the one, through his obedience of his Father and through his selfless love, really brings God's perfect rule over this world and defeat of sin. Because through his perfect life and love, when he laid it down, he took all of the sin, all of the punishment, all of the consequence of what we've done wrong on himself so he could break it so they wouldn't have to hold us anymore. And he rose to so that show that someday we would be completely free of it, completely new. Through his life, through his death, through rising again, he establishes the kingdom of God and makes a reality again, God ruling through a person and through people. By the way, have you ever noticed when Jesus is on the cross, what is on his head? The soldiers put it there. It's meant to mock him, but what is it? It's a crown. It's the way God's kingdom wins and gets established. That's why Jesus also, 40 days after he rises from the dead, ascends to the Father's right hand, not a literal position, but rather to a position of authority and power. He is ruling the world. And he is the reason why God would care. He, the fact that he has now has that position is why God would care. You might go, well, okay, God would care about Jesus, but what, what about me? This is why we read our lesson from Hebrews today. 
This lesson where it talks about how it is not to angels that he subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus has this position of glory and honor, but then here's where it clarifies how it ties to us. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. See, the thing is, because he now has his position of authority and power and ruling, through faith in Jesus, we are now children of God. We are now Jesus' brothers. And it's kind of like how I mooched off my brother last weekend. He got the reservation, right? He made the plans. He secured the spot. And since I'm his brother, I got to come. Same sort of way, Jesus went through the cross, died, rose again. When you have faith in him, when you're brought to faith in Jesus, you are connected to what he did. His death paid for your sins. His death, his death covered your death. His new life is now your new life. And his position of power and authority is now your position of power and authority. You have this special place restored. You have this special calling restored. You were created to rule the world with God in the way that we would be walking pictures of him, loving him, and loving his world. We may have broke that, but Jesus, the son of man, the son of Adam, came to fix that, to restore that. So now we could be his brothers, and we could have that power, that authority too, so that we could have the opportunity to rule with God through the way we live our lives in his world. Someday we're going to do it perfectly in that new world. And our lesson from Hebrews stated it clearly. It talked about subjecting the world to come, the lesson did. The new world, the new creation, what we're looking forward to at the resurrection, we're going to be kings and queens there. Not just like royals sitting in a castle, but in that we are going to finally, perfectly live in that world the way God designed us to. Loving him and loving each other. Managing what he has given us the way he would have us do it. And if that's what we were created to do, if that's what someday we're going to perfectly do, then we can know that he also cares about what's going on now. Because you are his child, you are a brother of Christ, and you were created because God wants to work through your life in this world. And someday, you're going to rule perfectly with him in the new world. That's you were created for. It was lost, but the Son of Man restored it. You are co-ruling with him. Every detail of your life is a part of how he wants to work in this world and how he's going to work for eternity. That's why he would care. There was a rumor 
that the world was born in love before the stars were clothed in fire. A silver thread drawn forth from darkness, a spark of light announced the blaze. An endless void at last surrendered, and at first, the first of days. In gilded panoply arose flaming cherubim, lords of stars, form without matter, thought without weight, descending the ladder to the humblest of paths. And then divine touched flesh, touched sight, the race of man, brought forth from clod, with hand and mind to rule the realm, and soul to see the face of God. But void still raged to claim its child, that ancient bent and stiffened neck, and through deceit and crooked tongue, bound up man's gifted breath. Thus the sons of Adam fell to Tartarus's shallow graves, to wait upon the dying flame, when all return from whence they came. But long before the cosmos danced, or ere God set the skies ablaze, there was love, all in all, God from God, the Word proclaimed. Weaving flesh and soul and bone, the Word assumed man's wounded frame, to draw the deadly poison out, and carry sin's unlawful claim. But death would forge the sword to strike, the shining heel of heaven's sun. That ancient wound infected still, inflicted on the Holy One. Yet sin, for all its boasts and lies, bereft of power, was trampled down. For darkness cannot overcome the fire of salvation's crown. Creation groaning in decay rose up anew, alive, reborn. The word who called life from the deep broke the shame forevermore. There was a rumor that the world was born in love. A whisper spoken true. The word, the life, the risen one remaking all things new.